Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I've told you before how much I like Blasoma's Glow Face Mask. That really fabulous powdered mask that has turmeric and amino acids and just feels so nice and clearing on the skin. But today I want to tell you about their Mild Rice Cleanser. I used to think that all facial cleansers and face wash was created equal, but it totally isn't. You know when you use a face wash and it leaves your skin tight? I used to think that was good. It's actually awful. It means it's stripping all of the oils from your skin. And what I like about the Vlasoma cleanser is that it is gentle enough to leave my skin as moisturized and ideally supple as it needs to be before I am putting on my facial products. And what's nice about it as well is that I feel like it's gentle enough to use both in the morning and the night. At night, I like it right before I go to bed, but in the morning, if I'm using a retinol product overnight or something that I know is quite harming if in the sun, I want to wash my face. And I find that the mild rice cleanser from Blasoma is the only thing that really gets the job done and allows me to continue feeling my best. If you want to check it out for yourself, you can use code ECOCHIC at Blasoma.com. That's B-L-I-S-S-O-M-A.com, code ECOCHIC. Everything you do is making an impact in this world. This is not an elitist issue. This is a quality of life issue. How dare you? And I feel like it's my responsibility as a human being. So what? The world is at stake. You're listening to Eco Chic, a podcast about climate, sustainability, and eco-conscious lifestyles. What? Like it's hard? Hello, hello. How are you today? Welcome to today's Chic Shots episode. My name is Laura Diaz. It's National Podcast Day, and I feel like it is appropriate that we have a listener call-in episode today because I would not have this platform without you. So thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to Eco Chic. We're talking today about families and cultural sustainability, things that are not necessarily the beautiful, minimalistic images we've seen on Instagram. I have spoken before about my upbringing and my family background, and I always say this isn't a podcast about me, but it's helpful to know in what context I'm coming from with some of these questions. I'm Cuban. I grew up in Miami, Florida. I'm first-generation American, and Miami is an extremely diverse city, especially compared to some of the other cities I have lived in since then. I grew up always having my family nearby, like my grandmother, my abuela, was always at our house when we came home from school, not every day, but probably like three days a week, truly until I graduated from high school, even when my siblings and I were driving ourselves home from school. She was a fabulous cook and a seamstress and quite entrepreneurial. She owned a factory, and a lot of what I saw in her as 
Cuban quirks were sustainability tips that were just marketed differently to me by mainstream American media. The example I gave when I introduced this topic was this butter cookie tin that as a child, I was always so excited every time I saw this butter cookie tin and you open it and it's full of sewing supplies. I mean, literally the original reduce, reuse, recycle, use everything you have until it has no more life left in them. My grandmother would mend ripped clothes and I remember when I was like seven or eight years old, jeans with patches were super in. That's what I wanted from Limited 2 and while my mom definitely supported my fashionista dreams as a child, there was not always a reason to just buy, buy, buy. I had regular jeans that ripped eventually in the knee. I was a clumsy child and my mom and my abuela made a pair of these patch jeans that I had wanted so badly from Limited 2. Like, it was something I already had and we just made it into what I wanted. Or there was this Halloween when my sister Emily and I wanted to go as the pop stars from the Lizzie McGuire movie. So Lizzie McGuire and Isabella, her look-alike pop star Italian twin. And my mom and my abuela went to Joan Fabric for these sparkly sequin fabrics and made these seriously fabulous matching bell-bottom pants and sequin tops, one in gold and one in silver, so one for me and one for Emily. And it was a whole feat. It wasn't something to cut corners or to make sure that we didn't have to buy the pre-done outfits at Party City. It was really like we were going to do exactly what we wanted in our way in the best way we knew how using the skills that were available to us. I mean, DIY costumes. But anyway, things that I saw as normal as a child, things that I wanted to be a part of, we found a way to participate in our own way. And I know that's not like a novel, super unique revelation, but your culture influences you. Your culture influences how you see the world. Sustainability is personal because it's a lifestyle, and it's not fair to say that sustainability needs to look a certain way to be done correctly. And with that, I'm so, so deeply thankful to the five women that have joined me for today's episode. Talking about your culture is personal, talking about your families and sharing your family stories is very personal, and everyone was so open and honest. I had very great experiences chatting with each of these five listeners that you're about to hear from. So first, we're going to hear from Sabina. She is Australian. She is telling us a little bit about her home life, the home that her family built, And her parents, who were kind of like very low-key hippies, which is so cool, the things that were normal to her as a child and just how they've influenced her as an adult, as a grown-up. Then we're going to talk to Aida. She is Salvadorian and immigrated to the U.S. from El Salvador as a school-aged child. We talk about poverty and the financial necessity behind some so-called sustainability practices. We're then hearing from Ashley. She is Mexican-American. We talk about food, family traditions, and how some cultural practices like capsule wardrobes weren't trendy before they were marketed as sustainable, even though there were plenty of cultures already participating. We are then speaking with Michelle. She is Salvadorian as well, first-generation American. We talk a little about things at home that you would use differently than your friends, like how you use your kitchen or how you maintain some sustainable practices as you assimilate into American culture. So Michelle's parents immigrated, and she grew up in the U.S., and as I mentioned, I'm also first-generation American, and Michelle and I really connected over the idea of how do you maintain culture and how is that cultural maintenance a measure of conservation in itself. Lastly, we're speaking with Bia. She is Filipino and shares her experiences and compares and contrasts a little bit of how she lives in the Philippines versus how she lives now in California. 
and some of the practices that she has adopted and brought back with her. I think that this is a really good conversation to put at the end of the episode because Bia shares some great take-home tips if you are interested in adopting some new additional sustainability practices. I feel like all around this is a great episode to share with a friend, again because it's so personal but still very inviting and warm. If you have a sec, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I greatly appreciate it. Like I said at the top of the episode, I'm extremely grateful for this platform and this community, and I love seeing your tags on social media. I love reading your messages and chatting with you, and I love hearing what you're loving on the show. The social links are in the show notes. I am at Eco Chic Podcast, and I'll also leave a link to my newsletter down below. I should definitely talk about it more because it's a great way to catch up, not just on the show, but on any climate news or sustainability articles recently. And I share some non-climate related things that I've been enjoying. Like last week, I shared a few books that I've read recently. So the newsletter is a really good way to keep in touch, but it's also a really good way to start your week because it comes out on Mondays. So like I said, I'll have that linked in the show notes below. So without further ado, thank you again to our speakers today. This was an awesome one. I'm excited to share it with you. Let's get into our episode on cultural sustainability and family eco practices. Sabina, thank you so much for joining me today. Before we get into your story, can you tell us where you're calling in from? Um, I'm actually currently living in Jasper, Alberta in Canada, but I am originally from Brisbane, Australia. So I've been living here for three years now. Um, Yeah, and I feel very lucky to live in a national park. Okay, well, that's great. I'm excited because we're going to talk a little bit about growing up in Australia. So tell me a little bit about growing up in Australia. Tell me a little bit about what sustainability looked like for you. My childhood, when I think back on it, was actually very sustainable. Like, you know, I I definitely talk to my friends now as an adult and we share stories and I can definitely tell that my childhood was a little bit different to others. And that's mainly just based on my parents. You know, my parents always kind of had like a sustainable mindset and they were always, they describe it to me like quite frugal. Like, you know, they used the most out of everything. They were very like hands-on. They did a lot of like make your own products or make, like my dad even built our own house. So he did that as like a way to like save money, obviously on labor, but he wanted to design a house a certain way. Um, So yeah, he spent years building our house. Um, It was actually like a, it's a kind of a Queensland style house. That's the state I'm from. So it's a wooden house lifted up on stilts to maintain airflow. It has big windows, big doors, and it's really designed for a hot climate. It's quite bad in the wintertime, but winters in uh, Queensland, Brisbane, where I'm from, are very mild. You know, we get 25 degree days in the summertime. So it's, yeah, it's winters really, you don't have to worry about them too much. Um, but yeah, like huge ceilings, huge windows and doors, like the house was built with all, um, so it was fully wooden and it was all built with like Australian native timbers. So it was all locally sourced as much as possible. And um, yeah, and we were like essentially off grid except for electricity. So um, I'm born in 91. So in the 90s, solar power was really expensive still in Australia. So my parents couldn't afford to put that on the house, even though they would have liked to. But we were had like our own rainwater tanks. We had an on-site sewage treatment plant. And yeah, basically, we were essentially off-grid, just connected because of the electricity. Oh, wow. That is incredibly self-sufficient. And it's also really cool that you grew up understanding all of these things to be normal in your home. And it wasn't necessarily marketed to you as a child as a super sustainable structure, because it sounds incredible. It sounds like today it would be winning awards. 
Yeah, and it's definitely, you know, my parents said that they weren't like, you know, full-blown hippies. They weren't like building a mud mud house and stuff like that. But they definitely um, kind of looked towards people like that. And my mum said she had like a subscription to like kind of an eco-living magazine that would come through every month. And it was like an Australian-based magazine. So they would kind of get little ideas from there. But yeah, it was really just like built to be sustainable, um, but also just to like be, uh, I guess, more like cost effective as well, you know, like if you're not having to pay for water supply because it rains all the time, you know, like why not get water for free? You know, it just kind of makes sense. So yeah, and there's like kind of some interesting things when I was a kid, like I'd have to go around to the rainwater tanks because they were galvanized steel and we would knock on them and find out how much water was in the tank. And, you know, like I was always like limited on showers, like showers always had to be fast because we didn't obviously have like an endless supply of water. I remember as a kid, I was always jealous that I could play in a sprinkler at my friend's houses, um, but I wasn't allowed to play in the sprinkler at my house because the sprinkler that watered our lawns was actually grey water from like, you know, the washing machine, um, the sinks in the house and stuff like that. And I was always just jealous that my friends could just run in their sprinkler and it was like clean water. So there's kind of like all these things that as a kid, I I thought were obviously normal, but now as an adult or I'd go to my friend's houses and I'd realise, oh, we don't do it that way at home you know? (laughs) Right. Well, I think that's awesome because you also mentioned that a lot of these things are not necessarily because your parents were full-blown hippies, but because a lot of the time they're more cost-effective. And I think that's the place where a lot of people get hung up with sustainability. They feel as though they have to really invest in switching over their lifestyle to something that fits some traditional ideal of sustainability or mainstream photography or whatever it may be. And it shouldn't be that way. It should be cost effective and it should really make sense for your lifestyle. And if you're growing up and living that way, it makes sense that you'd want to buy into those same principles. Because now saying it, it, it probably sounds really silly to be paying for water if you could just have them in rainwater tanks. Yeah, exactly. And it's like you're not only saving money, but you're using a resource that's available to you for free. So why would you? I mean, it's the same thing with the solar panels. Like, even though we didn't have solar panels, like, you know, you can get power for free from the sun. Obviously, there is a cost first for the panels, but why would you not just use that? Like, it, it just makes logical sense. But, yeah, and it was just, you know, even, like, we had in the winters, like, when it would get a little bit cold, we had, like, a like a wood-burning, um, like, it was called a potbelly drum, but it's kind of like a wood-burning fireplace in the house. And so, like, we would just go out and like cut down a tree for wood or we go and pick up sticks and stuff like that just to heat the house like for the short amount of time that it's a little bit cold we would just use our natural resources to heat the house so you know it's just like stuff like that that was so normal to me as a kid like my mum called them stick patrols just to make them sound more fun and we just walk around the property with a wheelbarrow like picking up sticks and kindling and stuff like that and that was just a normal occurrence in the winter that we would just do that every few days but now I realize it's actually to heat the house and also to save save electricity by not having to run heaters and stuff like that so it's all it's all very normal to me but actually I realized it was kind of it's kind of an, an interesting slash odd upbringing compared to most of society. I think that's so cool. And it's so smart that your mom made it such a game. I think that that's really how to get kids involved. And I'm also curious to know a little bit about like what went on in the house day to day. Was there anything that you practiced as a family indoors, not necessarily from that structural perspective, like you said, or heating, but was there anything that you were really keenly aware of, like constantly reusing containers or or things like that? Yeah. So I remember a big one was like our pantry was always full of glass jars and it was because my mum used to work in an office where she um, 
like the coffee that was ordered for the office came in these really beautiful big glass jars. And so she would just take them home. Like after the coffee would get used up, she would just take them home and then she would use them just to like keep goods in, in the pantry. And now you go on Instagram and like it's the perfect pantry on Instagram or Pinterest is like a, a glass jar pantry. You know, you don't want any of this like plastic like, like um, packaging or everything. It's all glass jars. And it's just interesting because that's now seen as it's like an Instagram ideal um, but that was my childhood. Like we just, everything was in glass jars because obviously why would you throw out a perfectly good jar when you could use it? And my mum, when I spoke to her recently about it, she said she's had the same jars for over 30 years now and she still uses them. And sometimes she'll be on like a little Facebook group. Like maybe it's like a sustainability based Facebook group and she'll post a picture of her pantry and everyone comments like, wow, your pantry's so beautiful. It's all these glass jars. And she's like, guys, I've been doing this for like over 30 years. Like this, this shouldn't be an abnormal thing this should just be a normal thing. It keeps your food fresher, you know, it, things don't go stale. And it also, yeah, looks aesthetically pleasing, but that shouldn't be the main reason why you do it. And it's so much more efficient, like you said, if you're already getting glass jars, if you can reuse them, if you already know that your food is going to stay fresh longer, why wouldn't you buy into these ideals anyway? And yeah. your mom taking the stance of just normalizing beautiful pantries is, is yeah. important. <laughs> Yeah, totally. And also, I just don't, I don't, I personally believe that we shouldn't be going out and then spending, you know, $100 on these like amazing, beautiful glass jars from like maybe an eco-friendly shop when we could just be reusing what we already are purchasing. Or maybe, yeah, like my mum did, like you take them from work or you go to a thrift shop and you purchase them. I just don't believe that that's part of truly like zero waste because you're going out and buying something brand new when you could go and like reuse a, a previously used item. And also it's much more cost effective. Right. I think that glass jars are an item that is so simple to buy secondhand or use secondhand because even if you're getting it from a thrift store, you put it in the dishwasher and it's essentially sterilized because yeah. it's just glass. So I feel yeah. like glass jars are like perhaps the silliest thing to be constantly rebuying or buying new. And I don't mean silly in a way that you know people shouldn't be striving to replace some of their items, but if you're at the point where you're thinking, oh, I don't want to spend all of this money redoing my pantry or redoing the way that I store my food, why wouldn't you just buy it secondhand? I think that's glass is the easiest, easiest thing to thrift. Exactly. And it also, it, it never really breaks, you know, like obviously unless you smash it, but it's not something like, like Tupperware or plastic containers over a while, they will become brittle and they will break. But like my mom's had her glass jars for over 30 years now so and I'm sure they're going to go for another another 30 I'll probably inherit them at one point all these glass jars so right and the other thing with Tupperware is that it get, gets stained and yeah. I, I'm thinking just when you store something like with pasta sauce like a tomato yeah. sauce something like that and you can never use that Tupperware for anything else you don't have that same yeah. problem in glass at all yeah. Exactly. Like it's, and also glass is way more recyclable. And if it did come to the end of its lifespan, you know, if something did break on it, you know, it, it's easier to recycle the glass than it is like the thin plastic that comes in Tupperware. Exactly. Exactly. But there's a lot of things that I realized as a kid, like especially dietary choices. Um, there's a lot of those that I, I never knew was like weird, I guess we'd say like we weren't strictly like vegetarians, but we pretty much we we're mostly vegetarian and then with a little bit of like fish and chicken put in like once in a while. But there's little things like, you know, our, our meal of basically our equivalent of spaghetti bolognese had tuna in it rather than beef. And I just never knew that technically, like normally spaghetti bolognese, like a red sauce with pasta normally comes with beef. I just didn't realize that was a fact. I just always ate it with tuna. Even like every time we'd have anything like Mexican, like tacos or burritos or something like that, it was never made with beef or chicken. It was always just made with red kidney beans. And even burgers, I still eat these 
these burgers to this day. Like we call them egg burgers. Like we never had a meat patty in a burger. It was always just a fried egg in the bun. And it was just so normal to me, obviously, because that's all I knew. But then I'd go to my friend's houses. I remember I was about nine. I went to a friend's house and they served me a steak for dinner. And I'd never seen a steak in my life, never eaten one. And so I just sat there and like looked around the table while everyone started eating because I didn't know how to eat it. So I just had to wait a few moments till they kind of cut in. I was like, oh, this is what you do. Okay, this is how I eat a steak. And I just kind of followed along because I was too embarrassed to say anything. And that was like the first time I ever ate red meat was about when I was nine. And, I, and my parents didn't necessarily do it for sustainable reasons because I don't think back in the 90s there was the data and the information about you know how bad um, especially like beef is for like when you're talking about emissions and stuff like that but my parents did it as a way to a save money it's also a healthier diet you know limiting your meat consumption and yeah they just and they also like preferred to spend their money on buying you know like groceries from local farmers buying Australian made like products from the supermarket and stuff like that like they always said that they would prefer to pay like an extra dollar or whatever it is for like a can of tomatoes that were grown in Australia versus a can of tomatoes that was grown elsewhere. So they just thought like we may as well put our money where our beliefs are and then it just kind of ended up that we had a more sustainable diet in kind of like today's uh, in today's thinking but it was actually just by accident and or just a way to save money. I really like that you mentioned that actually now that I'm thinking about it I have a friend who is in school in Australia and previously she had lived in New Zealand And we were having a conversation kind of recently and she mentioned that she had accidentally gone vegetarian because the prices of animal products in Australia are so much higher than they are in North America very often. And she was just saying like, it's it's quite silly for me to continue to buy giant chicken cutlets or steaks or whatever it may be when I could be spending that money elsewhere and I could be a little bit smarter with my money. And when it comes to your grocery shopping, that's a, that's an account that you are thinking about spending on such a regular basis, probably the most often bill that you're paying every week, every month, whatever it may be in your home is where your groceries are. So if you're thinking about how you're spending your money, it makes complete sense to just start limiting that, that meat consumption. Yeah, totally. I mean, I do it now. Like I, I'm not a strict vegetarian or anything, but I rarely eat meat. And you know what? A big reason is because just financially, like it's just meat is so expensive. And honestly, I don't miss it. I don't need it in my meals. So I just may as well go without it. And also there is, I do also like this. It's also the animal side of things that I believe in. Like, you know, I don't want to, I want to do less harm to the planet, but also big thing is CO2 emissions. You know, you look at like, obviously data has come out in more recent years like that. It's just such a huge impact on the world, like eating meat and like, especially beef as well. So if I can cut that out, you know, then I feel like I'm doing a pretty good job, you know, of lowering my emissions and everything and also just being raised that way I don't I'm not I'm not out there craving meat because I just wasn't raised like that so I think there's a big thing of like what you eat as a kid really influences your dietary habits when you're an adult and my parents they force fed me even though I didn't want them I force fed me vegetables and fruit all day every day and I'm really grateful for that as an adult because I feel like I have a very like naturally healthy diet but it's just because of my habits as a child I like that a lot I appreciate that a few other things that were kind of in my childhood like uh, one thing that I remembered is like my mom would make her own laundry um, detergent 
Mm. And um, so she would make me get bars of soap and I would have to hand grate them. And then she would add uh, like the grated bars of soap, uh, washing soda crystals and then hot water. And she would make these little like jugs of laundry detergent that then we would uh, we would use obviously just when we're doing our laundry. So that was always just one of those jobs that every few months my mom would be like, OK, in the kitchen, you got to grate your bars of soap. And um, yeah, and that's just kind of a, a funny little thing that I, I did regularly. It's like the yeah. stick collecting. It's like, okay, here's just another chore that we're going to be doing. Exactly, you know, and I didn't think anything of it. Another chore that she made me do was we'd make our own wrapping paper. So we'd get like old magazines and stuff like that and we'd glue the pages together and then we'd make rolls and rolls of wrapping paper. So sometimes we'd just be watching TV and it'd be like, okay, we're going to make some wrapping paper tonight. We'd just like glue pages together and then we'd make like rolls of wrapping paper like ready for Christmas or birthdays and stuff like that. And then another one was because we never owned a microwave when I was a child. Um, I've actually had quite a few blunders with microwaves as an adult because I don't really know how to use them very well. And um, like a few years ago, I accidentally put um, aluminum foil, like tin foil in a microwave and I blew up the microwave because I just didn't realize that you couldn't put that in there because I've just, it's just one of those gaps in my like knowledge of microwaves. Yeah. So I just kind of like accidentally blew up this microwave. I had to buy a new one, which was fine. But I just, yeah, because I just didn't grow up with it. I just don't know how to really use a microwave. That's a good one. Actually, I have the opposite problem. I grew up with a microwave. I am quite comfortable with microwaves, I guess, using microwaves. But I lived in an apartment about two years ago that didn't have a microwave. And I was Mm. like, oh, I'll be fine. Like, I can figure this out. And I thought that I was so savvy in the kitchen that I could just heat everything up on the stove and heat everything up in the oven. And more often than not, I forgot to check that my glass containers were oven safe or the ceramic containers were oven safe and then you hear this big bang and it's that my you know my ceramic dish has exploded in the microwave so I had or in the in the oven I'm sorry a completely separate experience from yours like almost the polar opposite and that's the thing you just have like a funny gap in your knowledge you know like I I know how to heat up anything basically without a microwave you know so I mean these days I do actually use a microwave but only for popcorn because I think popcorn tastes better when it comes out of a microwave than on the on the stovetop that's my only thing that I actually use a microwave for these days but yeah it's just like these funny little gaps in your like knowledge but you don't realize that it's anything abnormal until you kind of get yourself in a tricky situation sometimes so (laughs) and then just another thing I was going to say is like my mum sewed a lot of my clothes when I was a kid like it was actually something that her grandmother used to buy a lot of fabric so we've always had a lot of fabric in the family and so my and so she would always sew um, my mum's grandma so my great grandma would always sew and then my mum kind of just took it on as like a little bit of a hobby like when she was only working part-time when I was a small kid so she like learned how to sew quite well and so she would sew my outfits like we would go to a wedding and I'd need like a cute outfit for the wedding so rather than you know spending maybe $60 on a cute kid's outfit that they're only going to get get wear once and probably get covered in food or whatever she would sew me a little dress and then I'd go to the wedding in that dress and you know she also like we always had cloth diapers you know she made my own cloth diapers and yeah so very much like a like even we we traveled Europe when I was about 18 months old and my mum refused to use normal diapers she just used cloth diapers the entire time which I don't know how she did that traveling in hotels on buses planes all that kind of stuff I don't know how she managed it but she managed it some somehow and um yeah she's just very like my parents are both very resourceful um 
and yeah, kind of like creative thinkers, I think, like maybe thinking outside the box a little bit, thinking outside what societal norms are and seeing if there's a better way to do things. And, you know, they found a lot of really great ways to um, to do normal things, but just do them actually more sustainably and more and cheaply as well, you know, more thriftily. I love that so much. Also, your parents sound like superstars, like really ahead of their time and they just made it work for them we also have to have your mom here you guys have to tag team a call-in episode next week yeah yeah totally and actually they're really funny because my parents actually when I was a kid they were skydivers so that was their hobby and then that's they actually also worked in the industry so I kind of call them like hippies who jump out of planes because it almost seems like a little bit like uh like they saved a lot of money and the one reason why they wanted to save money was so that they could afford to go skydiving which is a very expensive hobby and sport and so but it's also a little bit like you know like obviously skydiving you're using a lot of fuel in the paint planes and stuff like that and it's a very like extreme sport but yet they also had this like ulterior lifestyle of being kind of like hippies like almost living off grid like in a way but yet they were also throwing themselves out of airplanes on weekends you know it's such like a funny they're just like such interesting funny people in that regard oh my goodness that's too good oh my gosh so i think that's an excellent note to close off on thank you so much for getting so personal and sharing so much about your family and about the way that you grew up this is this has been such an eye-opening experience just to hear a little bit from you and i think the coolest thing about your story is that a lot of the practices that you grew up in are not necessarily wild like they're not so incredibly different from how we want to live it's what a lot of people are striving for but it's in the way that it was presented to you as such a normal thing to live sustainably and live consciously and I think it's great I appreciate it so much so thank you so so much for sharing all of that yeah, no worries. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I actually really enjoy like telling stories about my childhood to my friends because I think the things that we did are so achievable and obtainable mm-hmm. for the, for the average person. Like, you know, like why, why go out and buy wrapping paper when you've got perfectly good like old newspaper lying around or magazines mm-hmm. that you can wrap your gift in? You know, the paper's just going to get thrown away anyway. So why go out and use these resources that are just going to end up in the trash anyway? So it's just like there's such simple little things that, I mean, I think they're so achievable for the everyday person. You don't have to go out and spend a ton of money and get all these like, I don't know, nice looking jars for your pantry or, you know, X, Mm -hmm. Y, and Z. You know, it's actually just using everyday products to their full use. Ada, before we get started, tell me where you're calling in from. Hi, I'm calling from the Bay Area here in California where the fires are happening right now. I hope you're staying safe. I hope your family is staying safe. And I'm excited to hear a little bit about your background. So before we started, you told me that your family is from El Salvador. I would love to hear a little bit about your story and what sustainability has looked like for you growing up. I was born in El Salvador and I came to the U.S. when I was nine years old. I came to San Francisco and pretty much my whole story is about how immigrants come to the U.S. for a better future. My parents were escaping violence and poverty, so they wanted to give us a better future here in the U.S. After turning 18, I went to UC Santa Cruz. I majored in environmental studies and I'm right now working 
working at a food bank where I'm doing food recovery. I'm actually pursuing my master's of public administration at San Francisco State University. So that's basically my my background. But you no, know, there is more than that. I came from El Salvador. So my experience was totally different than the one that I have right now. Basically, I'm from one of the poorest regions in El Salvador. So even though people did not consider themselves sustainable. They were doing certain things to basically save money or simply because they couldn't afford to keep buying stuff. So I feel like, you know, the culture here in the U.S. is about buying more, buying the newest clothes, buying just certain things that you don't need. But over there, it was like you had to buy what you actually need, nothing more. So I basically grew in that culture. Right, like sustainability for the sake of survival rather than because you can opt into it. Yeah, definitely. I feel like it was like that. And I'm actually from a really small town. So everyone knew each other. Everyone took care of each other. So I feel like they were just a stronger community and everyone helped each other. So some things that I remember that my grandma taught me, and and it was just because, you know, my mom had me when she was 16. So my grandma basically took care of me and my mom was still trying to finish school. So I think I did learn a lot from my grandma. And until now, I feel like, I'm, you know, I'm still going to school because of her. I think about like her when, when I want to do something or I want to pursue something. So she really inspires me. But some things that, you know, she did, which I didn't feel like it was weird at all when I was growing up. I remember sometimes you seeing newspapers as toilet paper. And that's something that I never seen, you know, and I talked to some close friends. And I'm like, have have your parents ever done this? And it was, I guess it was just my family, but I guess just like keep using the materials that you have and available for use and not throw it away just, just simply because you use it one time. No, we, we have to find ways where we can use it more and we can expand her, their life. And some other things that I remember is using glass jars as containers for food. And then some other things where using plastic bags. I, it was reusing plastic bags over here in the, the U.S. I feel in El Salvador, a lot of people are, are using already reusable bags. When you go to the mercado to buy fruits or meat or whatever you need, people are already using that. So that's actually one thing that I did see over there that people were using reusable bags. And then some other items that I looked at were basically using leftover food for animals or the dogs that we had at our place. And, you know, I'm not sure if those animals could eat the food that we gave them, but I mean, they grew pretty much fine. It was just so we did not have anything wasted. I think I grew with that mentality. My grandma practiced religion, so she always told me that throwing away food was a sin. I grew up that you cannot throw anything away, like especially Mm -hmm. 
that was a mentality that we grew with. I remember one time our neighbors were asking for food because they didn't have any. And my grandma just, you know, had always like beans or, or bread and we gave them whatever we could. So I feel like especially food over there does not get wasted. And just thinking about how we are here in the U.S., it's like millions of food get thrown away and it's just unbelievable. Um, uh, So I grew with that mentality. My parents are like, you have to eat your food. Like there's people back in El Salvador, like everywhere in the world that don't have any food. So uh, to me, it was always like, I have to finish my food. And I think that that was a really important concept Mm -hmm. growing up because, you know, now I try to do things that are more sustainable and um, I hate throwing away food. Like I have like a compost bin that is still with me right now now like you're so mindful of what it is that you're bringing in and it also gives you another level of appreciation to say there are people in this community that don't have the privilege to waste food and I'm glad you brought up food because I'm also so interested just to hear a little bit about food and like what you ate on a regular basis if that has influenced you at all today like you mentioned beans and bread and and perhaps rice, I feel like food is such an integral part of culture and the way that people view themselves and their identities. And And I'd love to hear a little bit about food and, and what you've carried with you. Uh, growing up, there were certain periods of my life where I didn't look at myself as being poor, but my family was uh, sometimes, you know, looking for just pennies to to buy food. So Growing up, I really didn't consider myself like poor, but I remember that we will have meat maybe like once or two times a week. So not a lot of people could afford eating meat every day. So usually our food consisted of just like beans, like, you know, soups, vegetable soups. Um, Plantains is really huge over there. So plantains with beans in the morning, eggs, basic things that grow locally. Here in the U.S., I don't eat meat. I feel like I don't need it in my life because, one, you know, I really hate how animals are treating in factories and how brutal it can be. But second, because I was actually seeing that eating too much meat was affecting my health. So we always had the same, just a pot of beans and a little bit of cheese or tortilla, and that would be breakfast. Right. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I was reading an article recently actually about vegan privilege and white veganism and American veganism and the idea that when people promote vegan diets, a lot of the time it does leave out communities that have been living on beans and rice and all of these other foods that you mentioned. Communities live on that. And there's really kind of a strange disconnect when people promote plant-based diets that don't acknowledge those communities all the time. Yeah, I feel, you know, that's true. That's why it's great that we have these conversations because I learned a lot from my family. Now, like growing up, I always remember of those little things that they did that made a difference. Like when we came over here, we already had, you know, our own little community, especially my dad will always carpool with my neighbors to work because they work together. So just little things like that, that my parents look at it just like, no, we can drive just three cars and go in our separate cars. We we have to just be 
the community go together to work and save money, uh, save the toll bridge <laughs> fee, and it makes a difference. Making sure that you're carrying those same principles that you grew up in. Now that you have the means to live differently doesn't necessarily mean it's better to live differently. Yeah, and you know, like this whole idea of sustainability is trending, but if we look at, especially my family, I'm like, they were a really great example of how people should be, like, Mm-hmm. So I'm always like really happy to talk about them. I mean, in El Salvador, being from one of the poorest areas, and I went back in October, you only get water like two times a week. So basically, you ha- once you get water for like three hours, you have to have it piled up in, in barrels. And then after that, you have to make it last. And so it's a lot about conservation and you know, using resources more wisely, I feel. And and that's something that we lose here. I feel like the U.S., like I mentioned before, people want more things. They want to buy more things, things that they don't need. Kind of forget that we don't have unlimited resources. We have to use what we have wisely, especially when our population is growing in cities and we're just using using more resources. Ashley, before we get into it today, tell me where you're calling in from. I'm calling in from Norwalk, California. Great. So let's talk a little bit about sustainability and the sustainability practices that you grew up with. Tell me a little bit about your background and what growing up eco-conscious looked like for you, even if it wasn't labeled that way. So I grew up in a Mexican-American household. My dad was from Jalisco and my mom was born in the U.S., but we live with my grandma who was born in Michoacan. And so growing up, we kind of had different ways of, you know, being eco-friendly and sustainable through, I guess the most common way was kind of using old containers or like using different Tupperwares for food, for leftovers or taking to lunch as well as us being able to wash out, you know, like juice containers or drink containers. And um, something that my grandma just recently did was she made Jamaica or hibiscus tea in it. So we make sure to get a few uses throughout different things that we have. And so kind of growing up in that, I never saw anything being super eco-friendly. It was just kind of just reusing things. And it was just something that I grew up with. And so I never really thought twice about it, but now seeing, you know, more people using Tupperwares or becoming aware of this, it's really interesting to see that I kind of grew up with that. And I'm like really proud that I did grow up with that kind of environment because it just further, I guess, made me more aware of being sustainable. Right. I think that's great. And also just sustainability that doesn't have to be so showy. And I also liked that you mentioned that you grew up pretty close to your grandmother. So I'd love to hear a little bit if you're comfortable sharing about just some of the experiences that you had with your grandmother in terms of perhaps like reusing things or making things from scratch. Like you said, she made tea. And I feel like from my own grandmother, I learned so much about just using dry beans as opposed to, you know, as opposed to always buying things in cans or pre-done or whatever. So do you feel like there's certain things that you learned from other generations or either from your grandmother, from your parents that you didn't see represented in the mainstream culture until recently? Yeah, definitely just a lot of being more aware of like our usage of different plastics or of Tupperwares. 
And like, for example, um, in my family, we have been recycling plastic bags or at least getting two to three uses out of them, whether it's to hold the sugar so it doesn't, like a sugar bag so it doesn't spill over or for flour so nothing spills over. And I feel that, you know, that has been taught to me by them, you know, kind of keeping things clean or keeping things organized, but it's also sustainable in a way. And in addition to that, my mom was kind of big on like, you know, collecting cans and bottles and, you know, making sure that we take it to the recycling bin. And I never really thought twice about it. And once I found out that other like different states kind of don't have recycling centers, I was in shock because I just grew up with knowing that you could recycle them and you know it was important to do and so I think that with that they've just taught me so much about not only just keeping a clean environment in your home but also helping the environment itself and your surroundings be clean as well. I think that's important and my mom is like that too. That just doesn't make sense to be so wasteful if you're just being sloppy. I feel like there are certain things that you inherent as a culture like in Cuban culture we're very big on eating a pig for Christmas Eve on Noche Buena like doing a whole pig and Mm -hmm. I read something about like the sustainability behind it is just like you're using every piece of the animal if you're if you're killing an animal you want to make sure you're using every piece of it like on a cultural level there's always some level of sustainability just to be able to say we're reusing everything and we're staying true to ourselves and we're passing these things along and even things like having a clothesline, like it, thinking that everyone in your neighborhood has that, it's not necessarily a sustainable practice. It's just the way that things are. Does that make sense? Yes, I think definitely with like the cultural like food, especially in the holidays of how often it's kind of like you can make an abundance for like one meal, especially like for me, like pozole or tamales as well. But the thing is that, you know, we always, there's always like kind of a joke of like, you know, you're going to, when you make pozole, you're going to be eating it like for at least a week after. But I think that that kind of demonstrates that it's like, we won't let any food go to waste no matter what it is, especially when it's, you know, we made it and it took so long to make and we're going to eat everything of it. It's just kind of that's been engraved in our mind since, you know, you're aware of this tradition. And I think it's important to kind of take away, as you were saying, that, you know, you use every part of the animal, you're not being wasteful, that that's kind of engraved in these special traditions, because then you grow up kind of thinking that with not just holiday foods, but you also think about that with like your own foods, like when you're making, I guess, any different other kinds of meals throughout the year. And it's just kind of making sure that you eat all the leftovers and you make sure nothing gets left behind or thrown away and, you know, to be mindful and not be so wasteful. And so, yeah, I can totally see where you're coming from about like, um, it's kind of not really portrayed as like eco-friendly but it's just more of like that's our culture and so yeah I think that that's always so interesting to look on especially once you see people kind of being more like aware of like not to use up so much or like not to throw away their food and you're just like okay we've been kind of doing this for a long time. Right no you're completely right and it's just almost about the way that it's marketed almost I hate to call it that but it's just saying if you're already using up all of this time and energy and resources Mm -hmm. to make a huge meal why wouldn't you want to make it last and be able to eat it as long as possible and it also kind of makes me think of completely different but I guess a similar concept is like jewelry like I'm thinking growing up my grandmother had a few pieces of really nice jewelry that she just took care of and used for 30 years and when I look at people advocating for buying again buying high-end jewelry because it lasts forever it's like okay well there were already cultures that were doing this or there were Mm -hmm. already people who didn't have the luxury to choose to buy fast fashion and then have this revelation so I think about it that way too sometimes 
Yeah, and I think also just going on like even fashion in general, where it's just kind of like different communities don't have the option to be so affluent in fast fashion, where you know you had to get staple pieces of like okay something for work something to go out and just get like groceries or things if church was an option also to go for church and so I feel like even just how communities of color have been treated where they did not have the option to be affluent or to buy in such abundance it kind of that mindset continues through generations and you know you kind of see how now it's kind of become trendy to be like what are your staple pieces or like a time capsule closet and it's like people have been doing that since before to kind of not be so wasteful when buying clothes or just grow out of clothes or pick new trends to go from yeah i completely agree the whole capsule closet trend is kind of interesting to me and i also think a lot about things that i now embrace that were not as culturally supported to me, I suppose, maybe just not as culturally accepted in my immediate circle. So things like going outside, like I love to go to national parks, and I love to hike. Mm -hmm. And growing up, I didn't grow up hiking or doing anything outside. And that wasn't really like a cultural activity that I took part in. That wasn't something that I felt like I saw a lot of Hispanic individuals doing. So I think also just that balance of being able to say, I'm assimilating in some sense, but I'm also recognizing that things like capsule wardrobes are also assimilating or also taking away from things that have already been cultural norms. Yeah, I totally agree with you on there's certain things that, you know, are kind of not culturally accepted or like well received yet. And so just like a small example where it wasn't like a big deal, but it was I became more aware of like the little recyclable triangles on different like plastics or things like that. And now I'm very kind of on top of things for what's going in the recycle. Can we recycle this? And sometimes my family's like, oh my gosh, like it's okay. Like just recycle or you don't have to check or oh, can we just like it's, you know, I can see where it can be a little bit like, I guess I don't want to say annoying, but I can understand where it's just like, oh my gosh, like just, just throw it away. But now that I've become more aware of that and they too have now become much more like of checking or like, hey, can you just double check this for me? I think it just always takes a little bit of time and effort to get used to certain things. And I feel that no matter what, my family has been very like accepting of like new ways of sustainability or just looking out for being eco-friendly. And so I'm very glad that even though it can be a little bit like, oh, like it seems exaggerated or like, oh my gosh, like really, do you have to check everything? I think that they've been really supportive of just my care and passion and just love for like the environment. Michelle, welcome to the show. Before we hi. get started, <laughs> hi, hi. Um, before we get started, tell me where you're calling from. I am in Orange County, California. Great. Well, thanks for joining me. I'm excited to hear a little bit about your background and your story and your thoughts on sustainability. So, give me a little bit of an idea of what sustainability looked like for you growing up. I feel like for us, sustainability. I've, I'm going to speak as a whole, as a family, because it wasn't just my perspective I feel like my brother and I kind of saw things from the outside in whereas my family was more inside out if that makes sense for us it was more about saving money as a whole um, while also doing good for the planet I feel like since we are more Americanized I guess you could say 
where we live. For us, it was helping the world be a better place, helping with global warming and just trying to do the best we can little by little, small changes, um, you know, meatless Mondays, things like that. Whereas my parents, it was more, if we can reuse certain things, we don't have to spend extra on those certain things, whether it be, you know, grocery bags, the most basic thing we could do and um, getting the giant gallons of water for, you know, $2 to refill them instead of buying small water bottles over and over and spending that money and using that plastic. And my dad's always been very aware of what he's doing, having his own property and being able to manage his household on how he can save both financially and the planet. It's just always been something in the back of our mind. And growing up as a first generation here, it's just put my brother and I in a different perspective, I feel like compared to our colleagues who kind of do things just because they see stuff on social media. It's just been so different. And my mom has always been one to say, you know, save your money and do something bigger with it. Whether it be having a basic job can really get you further if you just, you know, think outside the box, save from the bottom and work your way up. It's a different perspective than what we have because we feel like we're so prepared um, with our college degrees, just doing well. And we can't afford a home, whereas, you know, my mom's a seamstress. My grandmother was a seamstress and they would just save and save and reuse and rebuild whatever they had. And it's just gotten them to where they are today. And I feel like they've given us everything we needed and even what we wanted. So it's been a very different journey, you know. Yeah, I think that's a great point to make about sustainability for financial means and also just for the sake of efficiency and for saving. Because I feel like for people in our generation, we consume these like budgeting tips and budgeting videos and things like that. And it's always like, reuse what you have, make like, you know, yeah, make things at exactly. home. And I'm like, well, people have been living it this way forever. So, yep. <laughs> and so it's a different That's perspective. exactly right. It's a different perspective. What is your cultural background? So my parents are from El Salvador. Okay. Okay. Salvadorian. Awesome. So, mm-hmm. Salvadorian. So you're Salvadorian. So do you feel though, do you feel as though there are certain things in Salvadorian culture that influence the way that you think about sustainability today? I feel like my viewpoint is very different from seeing, and you know, we would go there every summer just to kind of check out how, because they have a home back there. My grandpa still has a house out there and just seeing the lifestyle there. It's something I definitely bring back home here. They're very sustainable, again, for financial reasons. It was a third world country. I feel like now it's a little bit more, I don't know what the word is. <laughs> like it's right, gotten like, better, you know, with like yeah. the buildings and roads and stuff. But um, I feel, I don't know what word to use, I guess, grateful going there and seeing that and then coming back home. Right, right. It's like now been, that it's become more developed. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. But I mean, just seeing how families do things and they're still so happy with the little they do and they don't even know how much they're helping the planet with what they do, if that makes sense. Um, You know, just living on the bare minimum, never being wasteful. The way we grew up, we just never wasted food. Just things that could be reused were reused. Anything you could think of, bags, cans, cups everything you know some people go to theme parks and they throw away those cups we would keep them for years and to where like they were wear out you would see mickey's head with no ears because we just rewash them and reuse them over and over again yeah and things like that were a luxury Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah and it's just so focused on 
taking care of what you have. I think also just the exactly. care for items. It's not even about waste. It's like, I'm going to reuse this plastic cup for as long as I can and make sure that it's not being aggressively yeah. put in the dishwasher, <laughs> dishwasher safe, whatever. So it's like caring for what you have and maintaining it's that. It's definitely almost. more appreciating what you yes. have, you know, and um, it's funny you brought, the, you brought up the dishwasher. You know, we never use the dishwasher. That's like foreign to us. Every home we've had, it's been used for storage and we, my mom just thinks it's like a water waste. You know, whereas other families, especially my colleagues, it's like they can't live without it. It's like they don't know <laughs> what life is like without a dishwasher. That is so funny. Yeah, the dishwasher is a funny one to me. So in the house I grew up in, our dishwasher was broken probably for like maybe 15 years yeah. of the 18 years that I grew up. <laughs> so a long time the dishwasher was broken and my mom washed everything by hand. And I'm one of four kids. So we were a big family and washing everything by hand was such a regular part of my mom's day that now that she does have a dishwasher every you know honestly once every two months probably we'll all sit back and we'll be like remember when we didn't have a dishwasher yeah exactly you just bring it up every time Mm -hmm. it's so funny and my grandmother does the same thing with storage like her oven is always full of pots and pans like exactly at all times even if she uses the oven normal right (laughs) yeah right i think even the oven as well we yeah. keep our, you know, bakery, like baking stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just, again, like a matter of appreciating what you have and using your space really efficiently, using all of your things really efficiently. Absolutely. Uh, and I, yeah. And I'm also curious to know a little bit about how you feel this. I mean, please stop me if this is too personal, but I'm curious no, no how you feel about being a first generation American, going to college and then looking back on the way that you grew up and the values that your family bestowed upon you, so to speak. Do you feel mm-hmm. as though you're actively trying to maintain your culture in this new American Absolutely. world? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So um, I'm actually engaged to a, I guess, for lack of a better word, a white man. <laughs> and um, it's just a cultural shock. You know, um, we've been together 11 years and it's just a whole different lifestyle that he had to kind of get used to. Um, coming to my house and the way we greet each other is way different than what he's used to just waving goodbye and you know hello every day and I I feel like it's a struggle nowadays to kind of carry that culture on from generation to generation it just kind of gets just fades out until it's completely gone and everyone's saying you know there's like 200 languages that'll be gone in the next 10-15 years I don't know if that's true or not but I could definitely see that happening especially in America so, you know, going to college was like a big deal for my family. And I feel like it's like a basic milestone nowadays. It's nothing, you know, to write home about. But for us, it was like a huge deal um, for my brother to do it first. And then myself, he's four years older. So um, it's something that we want to carry on and um, carry the language, carry the culture, carry the food that we make and the family gatherings. That's all a part of me that I, I don't want to go away. Right. I think that's a great perspective. I feel similarly, like I mentioned to you before we started recording, Mm -hmm. I grew up in America as well. And there's so much of my Cuban culture that was so regular growing up that when I went to college, yeah, and I went to a very white school again, for lack of a better word. (laughs) And I almost had to consciously not assimilate, if that makes sense. I was like, okay, how do I maintain this language? How do I maintain these food preferences? How do I maintain? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know growing up, you're kind of shy, you know, like Mm -hmm. 
your mom made like a different type of lunch than what all of you the other kids were eating. You know, <laughs> when you get to college and stuff, you kind of don't care anymore. It's like, well, this is who I am, you know, and you're proud of it. Right. I think that's a good way. Yeah. Just being proud of who you are and where you come from. Mm -hmm. And, and then again, taking those sustainability practices with you as well. And it's just like, Mm -hmm. okay, well, just because I can't afford all this Tupperware now, does that mean that I need to start? Yeah. (laughs) I I would bring, I'll bring like lunch in like a Northgate bag, you know, (laughs) that's just how it was because that's all we had to bring, (laughs) to bring our sandwiches in. So it's just a part that you kind of incorporate into your lifestyle and you just need to see past what people are thinking. Yeah. How are you? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. Before we get into it, can you let everyone know where you're calling in from? I'm calling from the Bay Area, California. Okay, great. Well, I hope you're staying safe and I'm excited to chat with you a little bit today about sustainability and non-traditional sustainability in the internet sense, sustainability that's not as pretty as what we see online. So I know you have a lot of thoughts, so I'd like to hear a little bit about sustainability practices that you have for yourself that are not necessarily the beautiful, minimalistic glass containers that we're looking at on Instagram. Something that I've always wanted, like growing up and organizing my items, I really wanted to go to the container store or to crate and barrel or like things like that and buy containers. But my parents would be like, that's kind of expensive for like a plastic container. And I was like, okay. So I like looked around my house and my brother really likes chocolate. And sometimes chocolate comes in, you know, plastic containers and like smaller ones too. So I would just put my makeup in that. So instead of buying like a $5 a plastic container, I already got one <laughs> from my brother. Right. So like I one of those jugs. Like one of those jugs. Um, but like, do you know those Ferro Rochers? Is that Oh, yes. Like, yeah. Like those ones where they like stack the little balls of chocolate into the small container. So I would just put like my mascara tubes and just like items like that in there. And then it's just like sectioned off. And and of course, I know everyone probably knows about this. A really famous item that people reuse are the cookie tins. And I feel like it's always like the older family members, like my dad, my grandma would have them and would just be full of sewing kits. And my brother is the one with the sweet tooth, actually, and not me. So every day he'd like go in and look at it and just be like sad every single time. And I'm like... (laughs) you know what's in there. It's a sewing kit. So yeah. And on the topic of sewing, mending clothes is actually very important. And I feel like it's not talked about enough because if there's a tear, you can easily mend it if you know how to sew. And I don't think it's necessarily that hard. I've learned and my dad's really proficient in it. Actually, he's great. Once clothes do become unwearable, what we usually do, we take like the old tattered t-shirt or socks and we use them to clean tires or to just like clean really dirty things like the garage or like outside um, your like outdoor table and stuff. So yeah, just like clean your old t-shirts and reuse them. And then for me, I personally found that old socks is a really good replacement for dusters and you can just reuse them until they literally just like fall off, I guess. That's a really good tip. Yeah. Also, I feel like it captures the dust easier personally Mm -hmm. because I'm the one that does all the cleaning in the house 
And I've noticed that like the socks take most of the dust off compared to like a duster and it like flies everywhere. But with the sock, it like stays there. So yeah. Interesting. That's a great tip. I'll have to use it. (laughs) For sure. Uh, Let me know how it goes. Hand-me-downs were a really big part of my life growing up. My parents didn't really see it necessary to buy clothes that I would immediately grow out of. So my cousins and I would swap closets every few months to a year. And even my baby clothes were given to my brother. So he wore my baby and toddler clothes and like, he didn't mind, you know, he's a baby. (laughs) And um, also if you don't have cousins or if you don't have siblings, you can also ask your friends if they're willing to swap clothes with you if they're comfortable with that. That's a really good tip too, because I'm thinking, sorry to, I'm sorry to interject. I think clothing swaps with your friends is a really good tip because if you don't have an immediate circle of friends, or I'm thinking even just in college, like I loved to share clothes with my friends and my roommates and whoever it was that was in close proximity at the time, because it's like you always have a new closet, especially if you're the same size. And I think the nice thing about clothing swaps and that communal environment of a closet, especially when you are in a space like college, or if you have cousins or sisters or whatever, is that we're also living at a time where there's this stigma about rewearing outfits and you can't be photographed Mm -hmm. in the same outfit twice. And if that's the world you're living in, it's fine, but it's kind of silly to believe that you should always be buying new clothes or even buying secondhand clothes for every new event if you're trying to do it in a really concise way. You're still acquiring new things, even if you're shopping secondhand for event clothing. So I think encouraging clothing swaps is so important to normalize. Mm-hmm, definitely. And I know for my college, we have like a really big event uh, prior to COVID-19, of course, where people would just like swap clothing. So maybe your college has one. I will go more in depth for like the traditional ways that my family does conserve. So I'm Filipino. I was actually born in the Philippines and I came to America when I was three. Um, I don't remember too much of the Philippines, but I do go back. So the stories that my grandpa and my parents would tell me is that traditionally they would use banana leaves as plates. And whenever I would go back to the Philippines, I would go to the marketplace. And a lot of their items aren't wrapped in plastic. They're wrapped in like banana leaves. And as I said, they would use the banana leaves as plates since it added more flavor and there's like this really big like popular way of eating it's like a buffet style but all the food it's like not on a plate it's literally a really big leaf I'm not sure if it's a banana leaf but it's some type of really large leaf and that's where they put all the foods and stuff and traditionally you don't even use utensils you use your hands And um, that's something that I did growing up. And I remember my friend would come over and she'd be like, why are you guys eating with your hands? And I was like, it's easier. I don't have to clean anything but my hands. So yeah. Another thing that we would do is if we have too much food, instead of throwing it away, we would give it to our neighbors or whoever is in need. Something about the Philippines that I've learned kind of fairly recently is when I was there a couple years ago, I was talking to my cousin and I was like, oh, just like put it in the fridge. And she said, even if I put it in the fridge, it will go bad. So you're either going to eat it now or I'm going to go next door and offer them some food. And so I didn't know that. And I think that's a really good way to not throw away food. 
is to just ask someone if they want some. And if not, I know in the Philippines, they either give it to their dogs or something like that. Because it's not like bad food. It's just like rice or something like that. Or they compost. They're actually really big on composting there. And there's like a big bucket. Like I I remember outside of my house there in the Philippines. And my grandpa would just like use it as fertilizer as well. Is it compost on like a community level? Is someone coming to pick it up? Is it something that your family just has chosen to participate in on their own home level? So as far as I know, almost every house has one, even if they have like a somewhat apartment complex looking thing. I think it's because we're just surrounded by so much like tropical plants and stuff and they would just use it as fertilizer. And my grandpa actually, he used to have chickens there. So he would like use their, you know, like poop and stuff like that as fertilizer because he would grow peppers and whatever other vegetables he had there. I normally didn't like participate in the gardening. So I know that's what they would use. And my dad actually, he collects the eggshells. Like after he makes the eggs, he just like puts it away and he like smashes it up and puts it into our home plants. So I know that's fairly common. I guess most people in the Philippines do that, at least on the countryside, because that's where I'm from is the countryside. So that's what they would do. Um, No one really picks it up and stuff. I think we're very aware of our waste. Honestly, I don't even think we have like plastic bags to carry our waste because we have minimal waste. Like our soap, we don't really have it in like plastic. It's in cardboard and you could just recycle that. That's from what I remember. Going back to giving food out if you're not going to eat it or if you're full and it's still good. My grandpa still does that now and I think it's really sweet because he gets like food and sometimes he gets too much. So he would like go around his neighborhood and ask, hey, do you guys need an extra potato or I have some fruit? And I think his kindness and his generosity has definitely aided in creating a really cute community in his small neighborhood. Touching up on the reusing like items like plastic items or plastic containers, I remember this one time he brought a potato soup that he made and he put it in like the circular country crock butter container and my boyfriend was looking for butter and I told him I only have vegan butter but he was like insistent I want real butter and look you have country crock butter right here and when he opened it he was like um your butter is watery and it has lumps and I was like dude that's potato soup (laughs) so that's something that we also do is put like the remainder of our food into like existing containers that we already have. Like my parents, they hate buying containers when we've already have containers. So that's what we do. We just continue to reuse them and they never really break. (laughs) And when we cook lumpia, so lumpia is this dish. It's inspired by the Chinese egg roll, if you guys don't know what it is. And we normally use a lot of oil to cook and fry the lumpia in. And after we finish cooking it, we pour the oil in a glass jar so we can use it for another day. As a kid, I had the same Hello Kitty lunchbox from elementary school through high school. It was very durable. It was small, but I carried my sandwich and snacks. So there was really never a point that I needed a new one. During middle school, though, the handle broke off, but I still wanted to use it. So I put ribbons like through the hole and made a new handle. But the ribbons obviously didn't last that long. But it just shows that you can try and fix something that has been broken. And instead of automatically buying new ones, you can just attempt to fix it yourself. And going back on it now, I feel like I could have used a better alternative instead of the ribbons, but you'll learn, I guess. (laughs) 
Right. And I think also on the topic of school, there's always so much conversation around waste and unnecessary purchasing. I feel like in the beginning of every school year, now we're in Mm -hmm. September and I'm thinking we just got over that hump of kids going back to school, whether it's online or in person. And Mm -hmm. I feel like the common complaint is always like, oh, there's so many things on the list and the kids don't even use them half the time. Or I hear that all the time. And Mm -hmm. when you think about, okay, what do I already have? Do I actually need to go school supply shopping? Do I actually need a new backpack or a new lunchbox? Mm -hmm. And saying, what is in reasonably good condition that I'm not forcing myself to purchase something just because it is the seasonal thing to do or the right thing to do? And even just with holidays, thinking about why Mm -hmm. do we reuse holiday decorations every year? We know the holiday is going to be the same. We know the decor is going to be reasonably the same every year. And that's why Mm -hmm. you keep it until the next year. So I think taking that same approach to school supplies or to any other seasonal activity that you participate in that you feel pressured to buy something, you really do have Mm -hmm. to force yourself to take a look and inventory what you have and say, is this actually in reasonably good condition? And if not, is there something that I can do before I feel pressure to purchase another one? Yeah, actually, I'm really glad that you brought that up because as a kid, I was really in love with notebooks, but obviously you don't always use the paper in the notebook. So instead of buying new ones, my mom would be like, hey, like you're going to sit there and find all the blank papers, rip them out, and then you'll use that. So that's what I did because I remember my grandpa was telling me, he was like, when I was a kid, like I had five pieces of paper and I would have to erase it every week because I only had five pieces of paper. So I would have to reuse them like every week for school after one assignment's done, I erased, did another one, turned it in. And so it kind of like just listening to your family stories kind of makes you more grateful instead of just like tossing like perfectly fine paper before you toss anything out. It's just like, can I still use it? And chances are you most definitely can. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Eco Chic, this Chic Chats episode. What a tongue twister. If you're not subscribed already, make sure that you are subscribed to Eco Chic wherever you listen to podcasts. I appreciate it, and I can't wait to hear what you thought of this episode. Like I said, all my social links are down below at Eco Chic Podcast, and I will talk to you soon. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.